entertaining. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Well, good morning, Canaan. Glad that all of you are joined in online this morning as we uh, worship together continuously and uh, continue through this COVID-19 situation. But happy Thanksgiving. Hope all of you had a, it's a great time celebrating uh, this season of Thanksgiving, taking time to focus on telling God thank you for the blessings we have, especially important during this season of uh, COVID-19 and all the other stuff going on with 2020. Uh, it's even more important than ever to focus on what we're thankful for. So hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend and as it continues and uh, be just uh, awesome to gather together to, to celebrate our Lord and um, begin to sing Christmas music, you know, singing about the birth of Christ. It's exciting. Well, we are continuing our, our Advent series based on the book, um, The Seventh Birthday. Um, and so what we're doing, as we have explained, Pastor Martin and I both have explained, we are going through looking at six very important births throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, even though it's still under Old Covenant, and that would be the birth of John the Baptist, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But all of these births dealt with a mom who the Bible had used the word barren for, a car. And that word normally means, you know, that not able to ever have children. But it seems in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it only uses that word to refer to these five women and six, counting Elizabeth, um, that were unable to have children until God supernaturally intervenes in order to bring forth a miraculous life. And that life we looked at so far was the life of Isaac. And then last week, Pastor Martin looked at Jacob. And these are key figures in not only Old Testament history, but they're also critical in just bringing about God's redemptive plan, which ultimately culminates and is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, the seventh of the miraculous births of Scripture. Of course, seven's a number of completion, and I don't think there's any coincidence at all that this is how this is all shaped up. So um, hope you're uh, beginning to read along. Again, if you don't have a copy of this book, we want to make sure you get one, one per family. So just uh, call the church office, and we'd love to make sure it's like sitting outside for you or easily accessible for you. So just let us know. We have These are all for free, and so you can have one for your family. So where we've been so far in this series, two weeks ago we began and we looked at this miraculous uh, birth of Isaac uh, given to the parents Abraham and Sarah who were well advanced in years, well past childbearing years. You know, Sarah had already been through menopause. It was biologically impossible for Sarah to conceive and give birth to a healthy son. But she does because of God's supernatural intervention. She gives birth to Isaac and when she is 90 years old, Abraham is a, is a hundred. And so just incredible, incredible story. And then, and then we looked at how then later on when the boy is about 10 to 12 years old, that God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac on top of Mount Moriah. And so the first week we looked at was sacrifice. And so the sacrifice here was how far was Abraham willing to go for God? Here he was, had his only son of promise. The, the key, the, the personification of the promise that God had given Abraham, that he would be the father of multitudes, of many nations. He would be the blessing through which all the blessings of the world would come. 
So all these promises are bound up in Isaac, and now God's telling him to go sacrifice Isaac. It would seem insensible, but Abraham, a man of great faith, continued to obey God, took him to Mount Moriah. And in Hebrews, it even tells us that Abraham had such a great faith that he knew that even if God allowed him to take the life of Isaac, that God would raise him back from the dead. So Abraham just had this incredible faith. And of course, we know that God stopped Abraham before, right before he let the knife fall and there was a ram caught in the thicket. So God provided the ram. And so Abraham named that place, uh, the Lord provides, Jehovah Jireh. And it happened on Mount Moriah, which is the place of provision. And we'll see later that Solomon would build his temple right there on Mount Moriah. Just incredible connections to Scripture. And then last week, Pastor Martin you know, kind of brought us up to speed on what, what did Isaac grow up and do? He grew up and he married Rebecca. And then they gave birth to two sons, Esau and Jacob. And so Pastor Martin walked us through the history of Jacob, whose who God changed his name to Israel. And Jacob was all about hope. He needed hope. And so last week we looked at this power of hope, the power of, of Jacob, who was a deceiver. And then he got deceived by Laban, and he just came to his kind of wit's end. But that's when God showed up and gave him so much hope, which is the way God does for us. Well, today we're going into the third installment of this, the seventh birthday. We're looking at the third miraculous birth. And today we are talking about the forgiver. We're talking about this, the history of Joseph. So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Genesis. We'll, we'll kind of be moving quickly through there, but we'll really camp out uh, at the beginning of, of chapter 41. So um, that's what we'll get to when we finally are ready to read. I'm going to narrate the story up to that point, and then we'll, <clears throat> we'll talk about that. But this is an incredibly powerful historical account. The story of Joseph. <clears throat> so the way things kind of unfold, so... So Jacob, who's renamed Israel, marries Rachel. We also had married Leah. And so Leah was the first wife of Jacob, as Pastor Martin kind of covered last week. And Leah is very productive as far as children goes. So between Leah and the two maidservants, Jacob has 10 sons. But then his wife, Rachel, the one he really loves, she is barren. She is a car. And so the, the woman that, that Jacob really loves, the one he worked 14 years for his father-in-law Laban in order to be able to marry, she is not able to have children up to this point. She is a car. She is barren. And so we see that finally God opens her womb and they have Joseph, the 11th son. And Jacob loves Joseph because Joseph is the son of the woman that he loves, Rachel. And thus this story begins. Now this, this historical account of Joseph, it has the power to, for us today, to bring our life really under control, especially under the control of God, to recognize God's sovereignty, to recognize God's power, and to recognize that God is with us. This story is about a guy who has more challenges than we've ever faced in 2020. Uh, he has more, more wealth and more power than we'll ever have. And yet, he also has the opportunity to pay back those who have wronged him in a way that probably none of us ever will. And yet, in all of these circumstances, no matter the extreme hard times that Joseph has or the extreme prosperous times that Joseph has, in all of these extremes, he always acts 
as someone who's absolutely 100% confident that God is with them. And that changes everything. So we're, look, we're talking today about forgiveness. We're talking about the, the power to overcome loneliness. Uh, we're talking about the power to do the right thing even when no one's watching. We're talking about uh, the power to honor the Lord who's always present with us. So let's begin this morning just by prayer. <clears throat> we'll get to the scripture account here in just a little bit, uh, kind of later on in the message as we get there in the historical narrative. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are so thankful that you are with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that God, you do the miraculous, that through these barren women, you brought forth not just life, but significant lives, lives that played a major role in the history of your people, <clears throat> lives that played a major role in pointing forward to and foreshadowing the Messiah, the Christ, and God, how you brought all this together in Christ, the fulfillment of all these things, because you love us, because you desire to rescue us, to save us from the everlasting punishment of our first sin, to save us to be in that relationship with you forever. And God, to never truly be alone. Lord, we just love you. We thank you that you have done so much more than we can possibly even understand in order to rescue us. So God, we just pray that you're honored in our time that we spend in this text this morning. Uh, that God, you would speak to our hearts. You would bring transformation to our lives. And God, empower us to live as people who are absolutely confident that you're with us. So God, we give this time to you. Use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, if you uh, have your app open, go ahead and, and hit on this Sunday and you can go to the sermon notes. You can bring those up. And so you can follow along and take, take notes and fill in the blanks and then um, email that to yourself later on so you have a record of anything God may lay on your heart this morning as we go through one of the most powerful historical accounts in all of Scripture the story of Joseph. So here's, your, here's the big thought this morning. The big thought is that because of God's continued presence with us, we can be absolutely assured, confident of not only our forgiveness, but also then our ability or be empowered to forgive others as well, as we'll see with Joseph. So let's, uh, let's kind of look at this um, historical account of Joseph. We see the first thing is that the presence of God brings favor to us. You know, you fast forward to the coming of Christ, and when uh, Mary and Joseph, when Gabriel's talking to them, he, he's giving them um, kind of fulfillment of Scripture. He says, you're going to have a son. You should name him Jesus. In fact, this is what um, we see as it applies to our own salvation, so favor in our salvation, that uh, the angel says this, that she will give birth to a son, and you, Joseph, are to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So from way, way back, even in the beginning, it was God's intention that this Savior not be detached from God, but that this Savior would be God himself, God in the flesh, God with us. Us. So at the very heart of our salvation is this relationship, is this concept that God is not some just distant, you know, 
transcendent being that is all-powerful and almighty, although he is all of those things, but he has also chosen to be imminent, to be very close, to be with us, in us, Emmanuel, to never leave us, to never forsake us, relationship. And so this is the beautiful thing about Christianity. We can just kind of do the big 30,000-foot view of Christianity here. Christianity is not this religion of do's and don'ts. It's not this, you got to do this, you can't do that. That's, that's all in there, but that's not, that's not in the driver's seat of what Christianity is about. That, that's, that's not how we get to heaven. We don't get to heaven by doing this and not doing that. Our access to heaven is the person, Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus says, I am the way. Other times he says, I am the gate. I am the door. I mean, he's, he's, he is the passageway to everlasting life. He is the passageway to eternity because it's a relationship with him. Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with God in the flesh who came and died for us, who has now guaranteed us that he is always with us. It's his favor. This word favor, I love the word favor. We see that in, also in Luke's, Luke's account of the birth of Christ when Jesus is born and the angels appear to the shepherds in the field. You know, the shepherds were tending their flocks by night and behold, the, the, the angel of the Lord appeared and the glory of the Lord showed around them and they were, they were terrified. And the angel said, fear not for I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be for you and all people for this day. A Savior is born in Bethlehem <coughs> and he is Christ the Lord, right? And, and then uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host showed up. And what did they say? They said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. And here's where some translations get different. Some say, and goodwill to men. That's like the more traditional translation. But a little translation is that, is, is peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That's powerful. God's favor upon us because he is with us. And so we're going to see that heavily through the life of Joseph, this Old Testament character who God is constantly with. We see that God's presence brings us favor even when we're abandoned. So a lot of you may already be familiar with the story of Joseph, but some of you may not. So I just want to kind of narrate what happens. So Joseph being the 11th son, the son of the woman that Jacob loves, obviously he's going to become the favorite. Now, not necessarily a good thing in our context today, but it happened a lot. It has happened a lot in history. But with Jacob, he loved Joseph more than the other sons. In fact, he gives him a coat of many colors and and the, the brothers, the other 10 brothers become jealous of Joseph because his dad, their dad, is showing more favor to Joseph than he is the other sons. And that's all because he's Rachel's boy. Well, the brothers are jealous. Now, Joseph, being a teenager, didn't always make the best decisions. As, you know, that's pretty typical of teenagers, right? <clears throat> well, Joseph had a series of dreams. And these dreams had all kind of the same, the same motif. And that is that whether it was, you know, the stars and Joseph was one of the larger, brighter stars and all the other stars bowed down to his star, whether they were, you know, stalks of wheat and his was a little bit larger and all the other stalks bowed down to him. He understood this to mean that one day his brothers would bow down to him. Well, he made sure his brothers knew that, which only further stirred the pot of the brothers' jealousy and animosity toward him. So the brothers began to plot. They began to um, ridicule 
They called him this, the dreamer. And so there was one day when the brothers were out tending sheep. They were shepherds by trade. The brothers were out tending their sheep, and Jacob sent Joseph to go check on the brothers and make sure everything was okay. And so Joseph journeyed out toward the brothers. <coughs> well, the brothers see Joseph coming from a distance. They say, hey, here comes that dreamer. And so they began to plot. Some of the brothers were saying, yeah, let's, let's kill him. And the oldest brother, Reuben, looking after his little brother, Joseph, said, guys, we can't kill him. He's our brother. Let's just sell him into slavery. So that's the end of what happened. So they, they grab Joseph. They, they strip him of his coat of many colors. They throw him in the pit. They're going to leave him to die. But then Reuben steps in for Joseph and they end up selling him to these, these slave traders. They're Ishmaelites. So if you remember back a few weeks ago, the story of Abraham and Isaac, Ishmael was the older brother of Isaac. Ishmael was not the son of promise. He was not the son of, of, of Sarah. So, but anyway, but there's, so his descendants become these Ishmaelites who are slave traders who now Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery to them. And so here Joseph is abandoned by his brothers. And yet, here, right here in the text, you always read this. After something horrible happens with Joseph, you see this phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph. Now, a lot of us think differently, right? A lot of us think in terms of, you know, if, if, if God was with Joseph, his dad would have showed up just in the right moment to spare him from being sold into slavery and to exact justice on his brothers and their evil intentions. Or when he was sold to the Ishmaelites, they began carrying him down to Egypt, which is where they go, as we'll see, that Jacob, if God's showing Joseph his favor, then Jacob shows up, rescues him from the slave traders. <coughs> we would think, we would expect something like that maybe to happen in just the way we think, but it's not the way this is unfolding. What we see here is a powerful, powerful truth. It's even in the worst of times, even in the darkest moments of our life, when what's happening to us seems completely unfair, seems completely undeserved, that God is still right there with us. Joseph is abandoned by his brothers, sold into slavery. He loses his freedom. All of his dreams and ambitions seemingly are out the window. He is now going to become personal property of someone else. And yet there's that phrase, but the Lord is with Joseph. You know, I know holidays can be really hard for some, especially I'm thinking of our widows and our widowers, especially our more recent widows and widowers, you know, maybe first or second or third holiday season without their, you know, spouse that they've had for so long. And it's just, it's unthinkably hard. But God is with you. It's the power of Emmanuel, the power of the favor of God, God with us. I remember one of the loneliest moments in my life. It was 1990. It was July the 1st, 1990. My parents had driven me up to, to New York State where they were going to drop me off to, to West Point, the military academy. And when we got there, they had us all gather in the big gymnasium. And, you know, there was 
about 1,600 brand new cadets and their families. So the place was pretty full. There were several thousand people in this arena. And they had someone come in, say a few words and to the families and that sort of thing. And I couldn't tell you what was said. I, was, I knew that this was a moment that I would be breaking away from my mom and dad. And that moment came where <clears throat> one, of the, one of the officers got up and he said, okay, new cadets, you have one minute to say goodbye to your families and then report outside. I remember that was the shortest minute in the history of my life. And I remember walking away from um, my mom and dad after they said, okay, your minute's up, so come on down the steps and head out this tunnel to go outside. I remember walking halfway down. I remember looking back. My mom and dad had not moved. They were both weeping. You know, I was crying. It was, just, it was, a, it was a very emotional moment. Because we knew I was, I knew I was going to go into just a very hard situation for the next year. And they were now empty nesters. And it was just that emotions that were there. And, um, but I walked down that, and that was one time in my life I felt so alone. Even though there were thousands of people around me, I didn't know any of them. And I just felt so alone walking out that tunnel. Didn't know what awaited me that day, that next week, that next month. And it would be a very tough month, but that was just such a lonely feeling in my gut. Now, I put myself in Joseph's shoes. I can't imagine that, because he was being carried away from his dad, his family, for what he thought would be the rest of his life as a slave. Mm. But God was with Joseph. So he, his favor is with us even when we're abandoned, even when we receive injustice, <coughs> as the history account continues. So Joseph gets down in Egypt, and the Ishmaelites bring him there, and they put him on the slave trade blocks. And this man named Potiphar, who's the commander of the Egyptian army, he purchases Joseph, takes Joseph home. And again, God is with Joseph, which means his favors with Joseph, that everything Joseph does prospers. And so Potiphar immediately recognizes there's this, there's this thing about Joseph. There's something different about him. Of course, we know that it's the favor of God upon him, that God was with Joseph, shows him favor. So what Joseph does, God prospers because of his favor with Joseph. Well, Potiphar may not have known all of that, but he just saw that there's something about this young man, Joseph, that he's got a lot going for him. So Potiphar quickly elevates Joseph up as far as authority and hierarchy and within his household. So finally, Joseph gets to the point where he, Joseph is over everything that Potiphar owns, except Potiphar's wife. Everything else, Joseph is in charge of. Well, by this time, Joseph was probably 19, 20 years old, <clears throat> very good-looking young man. And a lot of you, again, know this, this historical account, but Potiphar's wife began to have eyes for Joseph. She thought he was very attractive. And, of course, Potiphar was gone a lot. Being in the military, being the commander of the army, he would go on military campaigns and he would leave for months at a time. So it's not hard to imagine, you know, what the, the, the temptation that could take place between Potiphar's wife towards Joseph. So she looked longingly for him. She tried to seduce him on several occasions and Joseph always, always spurned the temptation and stayed true to God. And finally, she she just really threw herself at Joseph one day. She grabbed him by the cloak and she pretty much commanded him to lie with her. And Joseph says this, 
because he knows God's with him. He says, how can I do this thing and sin, not against Potiphar, that's not what he said, but how can I do this wicked thing and sin against my God, implied because I know he's with me. And so he spurns this very tempting situation. And so being rejected, Potiphar's wife, she screams and now she twists things to accuse Joseph of attempting to seduce her. And Potiphar comes home and of course he listens to his wife's version of the story and so Joseph, because of being accused of attempted rape, is put into prison. Injustice. Then we see this phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph. So we see this, injustice. Injustice is, is as old as the fall of mankind. Injustice goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And in chapter 4, we see where Cain kills Abel. That's injustice. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain was jealous of Abel. Because Abel gave a better sacrifice than Cain did. <clears throat> it wasn't Abel's fault. Cain acts unjustly towards Abel and kills him. Injustice is a product of the fall. And it has been around for a long time and it still continues to be around today. It happened to Joseph. It happens today. And whenever there's injustice, doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. Doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Because here we see with Joseph, he receives a major injustice. And yet we see this phrase, the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with you no matter what injustices you may face. Maybe someone else gets a promotion at work that you should get. Doesn't mean God has abandoned you. Lord is with you. There's racial injustice today. Doesn't mean God has abandoned any of us. The Lord is with us. Doesn't matter what the injustice is. God is still with you. His presence also brings favor when we're forgotten. So Joseph now is in prison. And just like Potiphar before him, the warden of the prison sees that there's this thing about Joseph, the favor of God with him, upon him, through him. <clears throat> and whatever Joseph does is blessed. Joseph is quickly is elevated by the warden to being in charge of all the prisoners because of this thing about Joseph. This thing is God's favor with him. And so Joseph is doing well in the prison. <clears throat> One day these two prisoners have dreams. Now Joseph, as a young man, as a child, teenager, had dreams about his brothers. He knew what they meant. God had given him insight and understanding of these dreams. Now these two prisoners come to Joseph with questions about dreams. Joseph hears them talking, and God gives Joseph understanding of what these dreams mean. So Joseph interprets the dreams to these prisoners. One is the butler, and one is the cupbearer. And the cupbearer, Joseph says, look, here's what's going to happen. In three days, you're going to be reinstated in your position. And when you are, please remember me, because I'm here unjustly. And to the other prisoner, it was kind of the opposite news. Three days, you're going to be executed. Both of these happened exactly as God had given Joseph the understanding to predict. So three days later, this cupbearer is, is taken back into his position with Pharaoh, uh, as the cupbearer with Pharaoh. But he forgets all about Joseph. So Joseph stays in the prison 
forgotten. And then again, we see this phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph. Hope you're seeing a pattern here that all these bad things are happening to Joseph. But every time the Bible is very intentional in reminding us, but God is with him. Okay, he got abandoned by his family, but God is with him. He got accused and imprisoned unjustly, but God is with him. Now he's completely forgotten about, but God is with Joseph. It's almost as though God has a plan. I say that tongue in cheek because we know God does have a plan. But the same is true for you and me today. Just because 2020 is a tough year doesn't mean God's abandoned us. Doesn't mean that we're forsaken. God is with his people. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And for us, his presence brings favor to us, even when we sin. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of Jesus has done for us. Even in the midst of our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's his favor. His favor is greater than our sin. Another word for his favor is his grace. Romans chapter 5 says where sin abounds, which our sin greatly abounds, right? But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 reminds us that for it's by grace that we're saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not by our works so that no one can boast. That God's Grace, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that, that baby we celebrate at Christmas who grew up to be the man who intentionally goes to the cross for you and me, what he did for us is greater than our sin. So even as sinners, we can come repentantly and humbly before Christ, cry out to him as the Lord of the universe that he is, seeking his forgiveness, seeking to follow him, seeking to honor him, and he will completely forgive us of all of our sins. I love Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, which says he has, he has taken our transgressions or our trespasses out of the way, removed them from us, and nailed them to the cross, having forgiven us all our sin. All. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Incredible. The power of the cross, the power of the grace of God, the power of the favor of God. Even as sinners, God's favor still rests on us. His presence brings favor to us, as we see with Joseph. But also, his presence empowers us. Now we're going to pick up in chapter 41. The presence of God empowers us to go and do things that we couldn't do on our own. That's why Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, when he says, go make disciples of all the world, baptizing them, teaching them. And he, here he says this, he says, but remember, I am with you always, even in the age. His presence empowers us to share the gospel. His presence empowers us to make disciples. Well, we see that with Joseph, that Joseph is empowered by the presence of God. So we pick up in chapter 41 with this phrase, so Joseph's still in prison, been in prison about 13 years now. Chapter 41, verse 1 says, Two years later, so two years after Joseph is forgotten in the prison, two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. 
He was standing beside the Nile. Let me just tell you what this dream's about. He's standing beside the Nile River. And he began, and he, uh, he, he saw seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows begin to graze. And then he sees another seven skinny cows emerge, and they come over and they devour the seven healthy, plump cows. And he kind of comes to, says, whoa, that's a weird dream. Well, he goes back to sleep. And this time he sees first seven very healthy stalks of grain. And then he sees seven withered, dried, scrawny-looking stalks of grain. But then he sees these seven scrawny ones come and devour the seven plump ones. And again, he wakes up, and he's disturbed. He's greatly disturbed. In fact, we pick up. It says, when morning came, he was troubled. He summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them what his dreams were. But no one could interpret them for him. Hmm. No one. Now, this, must, this may be the most appropriate part of this whole message for us today. How does someone who's been given the opportunities that you and I have been given and the responsibility to live our lives day by day like God is with them, how do we respond in times of hardship and in times of multitude and plenty? We all know that wealth and prosperity, much more than need and poverty, has a tendency to pull us away from God. When you're in need, you pray. When things are great, we tend to forget about God. It's nothing new. It's happened all throughout history. Look, look at the book of Judges. Things would get great, they'd forget about God over and over and over again. How would you maintain this perspective? Because even though it's just 2020, it's been a tough year. There's COVID cases. Even right now, we have a couple of folks in the hospital, in the ICU, two on ventilators. It's a crazy hard time. But still in the big picture of things, we still had plenty to eat on Thanksgiving. You know, we still have people that we know and love. Um, we have financially and materialistically, we've got plenty. So this is still a very timely application for us. Somehow Joseph is one of these unique few who did not allow either pain and suffering or prosperity and wealth to rob him of his faith. In fact, in both cases, he continues to lead and press hard into his faith in the Heavenly Father. So we get to this moment where Pharaoh has this dream. And he's desperate. He's troubled. He knows there's something significant about this dream. But none of his wise men have any answers for him. We've got to be careful for human wisdom. You know, we see that all throughout Scripture. Proverbs tells us there's the way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. We can't always just go to wise people we think are wise. We must go to first to God himself, to his word. Pharaoh goes to his wise men, and none of them have an answer for him. And he's desperate. Then we pick up here with, um, with this cupbearer. And so we see this very, the very next verse right here in, in uh, I think it's like verse, I don't know, verse 14. Nope, that's not right. Yeah, here we go, verse 9. The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, oh, today I remember my faults. In other words, he's saying, oh, I've really messed up. 
I'll remember this guy. And so he goes on and tells Pharaoh about Joseph. I remember this guy. And so we pick up in uh, chapter 41, verse 14. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and they quickly bring him up from the dungeon. He shaved, they change his clothes, and he goes into Pharaoh. Now here is the moment. There's, there's a couple of climactic moments here in the, in the historical account of Joseph. This is the first one. The other one will be when Joseph faces his brothers, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But it's this powerful moment. And you can't over-dramatize this. Joseph is facing the opportunity of a lifetime. He's been asked the question of a man who doesn't ask men questions. Pharaoh doesn't, he doesn't need counsel because Pharaoh thinks himself to be a god. And so he asked Joseph, Pharaoh asked Joseph to interpret this dream. So he tells him the dream. And Joseph, who knows God is with him, reminds him and tells him, it's not I that knows the answers to your dream. He says this in verse 16. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams, and Joseph tells Pharaoh, here's what your dreams mean. It means you're going to have seven years of plenty. The seven fat cows or healthy cows, the seven healthy grains of stalk, uh, or stalk of grain, they represent seven years of plenty. So during that time, store up, because after that comes seven years of famine. And that seven years of famine will devour the seven years of plenty. And so now Joseph, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with just interpreting the dream, giving the man who doesn't need human help, help. He then proceeds to give Pharaoh advice on what to do. He says, here's what you should do. You should get organized. You should have a plan to store up seven years of plenty. So, you know, every, each year after the harvest, you give some to the people, but you put a lot of it in silos and in storage for when those seven years of famine come, there will be plenty to eat in Egypt. So, so Joseph, behaving as a man who knows God is with him, gives Pharaoh, the man who thinks himself to be God, advice. But God is with Joseph. And so Pharaoh... Seeing the favor of God makes Joseph the second in command of all of Egypt. And so Joseph oversees this whole process. So number three, God's presence frees us. God's presence frees us. So here's where we get rolling up to the second climactic moment of this historical account. The famine is widespread. You've had the seven years of plenty, now we're in the, in the famine. People are starving. They're coming to Joseph for food, but not only Egyptians, but also those from other countries, including Jacob. So things are bad up in Canaan. They have no food. So Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt <clears throat> to ask them for food. And so the brothers come, and Joseph sees them and immediately recognizes them. Has to excuse himself. He goes and weeps, but they don't recognize Joseph because Joseph is now looks Egyptian. He's got the head garb. He's got the makeup on, and plus he's aged. It's probably been about two decades since they saw Joseph. But they come and they ask Joseph for food, and Joseph says, I'm not giving you food unless you bring Benjamin down. And so the brothers say, well, we can't do that because our father would never let us bring Benjamin because Benjamin's his favorite son. And so now Joseph's wanting to test their hearts. Are these, are these brothers just like they were when they abandoned Joseph? Would they do the same with Benjamin, or have they changed? Has there been repentance? Has there been transformation? So Joseph engages on a few kind of tests with them. So he takes one of the brothers' um, prisoner, Judah, puts him, in, puts him in jail and says, look, you can't get him out until you bring Benjamin. 
So the boys go back up to Canaan and they, they tell their dad, Jacob, what's happened? And that Judah is in prison now and they've got to take Benjamin. And Jacob says, you're not taking Benjamin. You're not taking my favorite son. He's not going down there with you. They say, Dad, what about Judah? He's in jail. I was like, well, stinks to be him, uh, but you're not taking Benjamin. But after some time and more hunger, Jacob finally relents and lets them take Benjamin down. So they bring Benjamin down to Egypt. Now Joseph's going to continue to test the heart. So Judah's released. And now they give Benjamin five times the food that they give the other brothers. But also Joseph has one of his servants smuggle his, his goblet, his royal goblet, into the bag of Benjamin without Benjamin knowing it. So they begin to go back up to Jacob and then some of the posse of Egyptians come and say, hey, somebody stole you know, this goblet. And so they're like, we didn't do this. They bring it back, and there it is in Benjamin's bag. And the brothers go nuts. They just go berserk. And so they offer, like Simeon and, you know, some brothers offer themselves to take Benjamin's place because they don't want their father's heart to be broken, and they don't want to lose their baby brother. Joseph sees change. He sees transformation. And then so here he decides to reveal himself to his brothers. We pick up in Genesis chapter 45, verses 3. So Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I'd love to have seen the faces on the brothers at that moment. But he says, is my father still living? But his brothers were too terrified to answer him. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. But now, don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Oh, my goodness. In this moment, Joseph had all the power he had all the opportunity to exact revenge, to get what he might twist to think might be justice. But he didn't. Because Joseph is a man who knows God is with him. And that's why Joseph is a forgiver. He forgives them. He kind of lets them off the hook. He says, look, you did this. You sold me into slavery but God was working behind the scenes to make sure that I'm here in this place to save lives. Joseph responded as anyone would who is absolutely confident that God is with him. Because there's just so much power for you and me, extraordinary power when it, it comes when seeing God walking with us in different circumstances that we couldn't have imagined. And God even allowing us to work through tough, hard circumstances that we never thought we'd go through. And in those deep, dark valleys, God is so very often sometimes silent, but not absent. And leveraging those worst things for the best things. So we go on with the story. Joseph says, return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen, which was a special part of the land of Egypt, and be near me, 
you, your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your cattle, all that you have, there I will sustain you. For there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. And so Jacob gets this word. He celebrates his sons alive. They move from the land of Canaan down to Egypt to be with Joseph. Now, the brothers are probably still a little hesitant, a little afraid, because what happens when Jacob dies? So Jacob gets down to the land of Goshen, and sure enough, he's, a, he's already an elderly man. He sees Joseph, and they spend some final days together, and then Jacob dies. And now the brothers are afraid again. But Joseph says this in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Look, yeah, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about this present result, survival of many people. So don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. How could Joseph forgive such wickedness? How could God forgive our wickedness? Because God loves us and because God was with Joseph. That's how you and I are able to, to navigate a tough year, tough times, even worse things when we're betrayed by loved ones or, you know, when any of these things happen, how are we able to forgive? Because God is with us. You know, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, forgive others just as your heavenly Father has forgiven you, right? In fact, he goes on and says, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Now, again, this sounds like it's, our forgiveness is conditional, but it's not. What, he, what, what Jesus is saying, if you have a relationship with God and you are truly forgiven, you're going to forgive others because God is with you. If you don't forgive others, that's a manifestation that maybe God's not with you and you're not truly born again and in relationship with God because when God is with you, you have forgiveness of others. So there's that manifestation that God is with us as we live that out to forgive others. Forgiveness, it's PhD Christianity. It's not easy. It's not easy, but God wins. You will never experience all the good from bad situations in life until you live through those with that absolute confidence that God is with you. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God truly forgives us. That's why Jesus came to accomplish for us that which we could never accomplish for ourselves, forgiveness of sin. And in his spirit, he empowers us to live the life that honors him. Through his presence with us, he empowers us to live, to glorify him. And that includes forgiving others and so many other things. Do you know Emmanuel? Do you know Jesus? Because he is incredible. He's done so much for us. He's died on the cross for us. He empowers us to live a life that honors him. He, 
as we follow him, as we follow his word, we can see healing come to our marriages. We can see wisdom come to our finances. But most importantly, we're totally forgiven of our sin and we're guaranteed everlasting life with him. And we have purpose and direction now that our life doesn't belong to ourselves, but to him, to live for his glory and to the benefit of others. And that kind of living brings more joy than we can possibly imagine in this life and definitely in the one to come. But it's all comes down to, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Now, are you trying to do some good things, trying to stop doing bad things? And that, that comes with following him. That, that comes as he empowers you. But that's not what gets us into heaven. That's not what gets us into just true Christianity. It's faith in Christ. It's what Christ has done for us. Do you have a relationship with him? Let's pray together. Lord, we do love you and are thankful for all that you've done for us. God, this incredible historical account of Joseph, seeing a, a young man who comes to be a mature man consistently live his life with that absolute confidence that you're with him. God shows us what can happen when we stay focused on you. No matter how bad 2020's been, no matter what tomorrow holds, God, you are with your people. You have placed your spirit upon us and within us. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You give us the great commission to remind us that you're with us to the end of the age. So God, I just pray that right now, this week, this season, this next year, that we really commit to live our lives as a people who are absolutely confident that you are with us, empowering us to honor you, to glorify you, to share your gospel, to do the right thing, to, to protect our testimony and to share that testimony. Because God, you are the key ingredient. You are the everything us live in lives that honor you and make a difference in this world. So God, just bless us now as we get ready to dismiss and help this to be, this truth to be at the forefront of our mind. And we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in this, uh, this morning. Just a reminder, um, that uh, if you, we notice normally when we do an offering, obviously we can't do that, but you can give online. You can give through our website, canaanstl.org. Uh, you can also um, give through our app. You can also mail your checks in, in, in or go through your bank to draft it, to have it sent here to our church property, or you can drive by and just put it in our mail slot. And we have a text to give option as well. So even though we're not here physically, uh, we still want to give you the opportunity to give because that's part of our worship. And y'all have been so generous and faithful in your giving this crazy year of COVID. We pray that not only continues, but we continue to grow in that generosity to honor this incredible Jesus who's always with us. Well, we'll be sharing some news here in the next couple of days about what next week and beyond is going to look like. So uh, be watching your email inbox for that. And uh, we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see all of you again. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. And now as we enter into the Christmas season, I just pray that this is a very blessed one and that whatever we've missed with time with family and loved ones and church family, we get to make up for it very soon. God bless. Have a great week.